Hello, welcome to the New River Church Podcast. We're so pleased to have you join us today. We hope that today's message uplifts and inspires you. If you would like to learn some more about New River Church and what we're all about, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. A few weeks ago, we finished our series, Killing Me, How Dying to Self is the Way to Really Live. And so this morning, I'm just going to go through a very quick summary of that, very short summary, to kind of help us get started this morning. So if you weren't here or you missed a few, this will kind of help us lead where we're going. For me, that series really put into words kind of what I've been feeling the last, specifically the last couple of years about my walk with Christ and like getting to these points of feeling like stuck and like wondering what those next steps were. So up on the screen, I have just a couple of, or the the six word pictures that the Bible has given us to describe our relationship with God. Okay, so you start with the potter and the clay, right? So God is the potter, we are the clay. Um, It's not a super intimate relationship. And then you move to shepherd and sheep, where we come into the fold. We're one of his sheep. He's the shepherd he protects us with. And on through the list of master and servant, friend and friend, brother and siblings, and then husband and bride, we get more and more intimate and more, more deeper relationship, right? So at potter and a clay, we're mostly at head knowledge. So God is God. I am not. But there's no, there's no friendship. There's no bond there until we move until, like, God doesn't intend for us to stay right there. He wants a deeper and more intimate relationship to bring us into being his bride, which is where all the, where most of the heart work um, we've gone through, and then now we're really surrendered to him. So in order to get there and to get to that deeper relationship, we need surrender, and then we also need to act in obedience, which is where we're going this morning. I want to make sure we understand the difference between surrender and obedience. They're very similar, but I think it's important for us to point them out in our walk with Christ. So surrender is coming under the authority of God. So for example, you're driving down the road, the speed limit sign says drive 35 miles an hour. I admit that that is the speed limit and I come under the authority. This is the speed limit is 35 miles an hour. Or in our life, we're saying, God, you are God. I am not. You are Lord of all, right? Surrender is that battle to say, here it is. You can have it. We're moving into a life lived in the pleasant boundary lines. It says in Psalm 16, five to six, You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance, right? So coming into the, if we think about the sheep and the shepherd, God's inviting us to live in that safe pasture that he set for us. We're acknowledging that he's God and we're surrendering to that. But then next in obedience, now for driving, I have to actually obey that 35 mile an hour speed limit sign. I can't just acknowledge it and keep going. That's not obedience. Um, And the same with our life. Now, that becomes faith in action. God, you are God, but now I'm going to do what you've called me to do. I have, I've surrendered to your will, and now I'm going to follow you. But when we surrender and we open our hands to do work, God has work for us to do. There's actually action that needs to take place. And it's one thing to acknowledge he is God, and it's another thing to do something about it. So let's just say we choose not to surrender and obey. What if we decide, hey, my life's going pretty well. I can figure things out for myself. I have a nice plan. God, I believe that you created the earth and I, maybe I've trusted you as my savior, but I'm not quite ready to surrender. What does my life look like? Or maybe my life is going poorly, 
but I've got a good plan. Like, I'm smart enough to figure it out. Like, I appreciate, God, that you have some nice things to say, but I'm just going to keep going. And if I need you, I'll let you know. Like, what does that life look like if we just kind of acknowledge but don't come under that surrender? So I was blessed to grow up in a Christian home where I was able to attend youth group, and I'm really thankful for that because it gave me those foundational steps to growing in a walk with Christ. But one of those things that we did was went on lots of youth retreats and mission trips, and those things are great. I'm not saying they're not. And when you go on them, you're, you're away from your distraction. High school me is like away from like my job at JCPenney and whatever was going on in my life, and I get around like-minded people. If I'm on a mission trip, I'm serving. So I'm the hands and feet of Jesus. I'm filling myself up. I'm loving on others, and there's this great fire, this mountaintop high. But then I come back home, and I leave what I experienced there, like those things happen here, but my life is over here. And I just keep going the way that I've been going, running my life, acknowledging that he's great. And I'm not knocking those things. They're essential. Like I think they give us a glimpse of heaven. Like we did go Sunday last year and I thought it was amazing and we should keep doing that. But if I only live a life where I experience God in those you know, retreats or loving another person like once a year, like, or I come to church on Sunday morning and then I leave and God stays here, then what does my life look like? And for me, I lived my life like that for a long period of time. I called it living at arm's length with God. So I had my hands up being like, I acknowledge you, I believe you, and that's great, but I've got a plan and you can stay in your lane and I'm going to stay in mine was essentially like how I was living my life. I didn't let him get close enough that he could really do anything. And this was kind of how I progressed. I was a good person. I wasn't like super bad or doing anything too crazy, but I wasn't allowing God in. And I lived this way until about my third year of college. Looking back on that time of my life, I was extremely depressed. I had loads of anxiety. I was a gold medalist in coping and putting on a mask. And so as things begin, if things didn't go away my way or people began to see the real me, I would just add another layer on. And then I would cover up and then people might start to see me vulnerable and I'd be like, no. Like, I remember I literally didn't cry. I didn't have like any other emotion. I was like, I'm here to support you, but I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's great. Until I, my life was empty though. Like I would go to bed every night and I wouldn't be able to sleep and I would just be like, this is, this is awful. This is pointless. But I didn't know what to do. And I came to the point, the start of that fall semester, I was maybe three days in. And I was laying in bed one night, and I prayed, God, whatever you want to do, I need you to do it. I give you control. And if you've ever prayed that prayer, then you know what happened. God crashes into your world, and he starts digging stuff up and freeing you from things. And it, it can be painful, good, but painful. And basically, like, things starting to implode. So my Grades went downhill. There was no amount of studying I could do. I was in engineering school, and I had a laptop, and that was crucial for my programming courses, and it got like a terrible virus. I had to like give it to Geek Squad for two weeks. I could go to the computer lab, but I was like, I, I need my computer. Like I wake up every day and live on it all day long. Like how could I not have this? I had a huge panic attack over that. My relationships were suffering. Just everything in my life was falling apart. My health was deteriorating like really quickly. I had chosen some habits to cope that were starting to ruin my body as well. And I kept going on. I had said, like, God, I need you to move in, but I didn't know how to break free. And so I just kept going on this path until the end of October 
When I got up one morning to go to class, got in the shower, passed out, smashed my face against the ground, busted it all up. Like God literally allowed me to fall flat on my face to get my attention. I ended up in the ER and um, was faced with a decision that I was either going to be admitted to the hospital there in town or I could go home to where my parents were and go there because I was going to die if I didn't stop, was essentially what my doctor said, that I ha- something had to be done. I stayed there almost a week in the hospital and then went home. I had to withdraw from school. I couldn't go back. I was devastated. I had a college plan in place. I had an internship lined up for the spring semester. I had to cancel that because I couldn't finish my courses. I was going to have to start that year completely over. So it was going to take me five years to graduate instead of four. More, More student loans. I moved back in with my parents. Like I just felt everything exploded and there was nothing left. Every piece of my identity, every wall that I had built up, every layer of my mask like came crashing down and there was nothing left. I had nothing to call my own, but Jesus was there. And God, God came in and he reminded me who he was. During that season, I prayed multiple times a day. Um, Psalm 139, which you've ever read it, and you're looking for some truth to stand on, write it down because that's the one you want to read. Um, David is talking about how God knows every part of him but from before time to present. How there is nowhere he can go that God can't get him. Um, I was holding fast to verse 5 that says, You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. I could imagine the roof of my life caving in, but God had hemmed me in. Like if you think of a garment or like I look at my jeans, they have hems on the bottom. The hem is there to seal in the seamstress work. And that's what God did to me. He came and he hemmed me in and was like, you are safe with me. Like I felt like everything was falling apart, but he had established who I was and he was reminding me of who he made me to be. In that season, I was finally able to surrender, to to come to him and also finally say, God, what is it that you want with my life? What do you have planned for me? Like, is this where you actually want me in school? Is this the degree you want me to pursue? Like, what is it that you want me to do? And I'll do it. And this is where that next obedience piece comes into play. So I'd like if we, this morning, we can turn to the book of Hosea for a little bit. Um, this will kind of give us a good example of some tough obedience. So Hosea was a prophet um, to Israel. If we remember the Israelites, they came out of Egypt. They were rescued. They were brought to the promised land. But the Israelites kind of go through this phase of they're close to God and then things get hard and they're like, we don't want him. We want this false God. And they just go back and forth of trusting God. It's hard. We don't want anything to do with him. And they're just going and going. And they kind of spiral down into the the nation of Israel just kind of explodes. They've chosen to go on their own way. And Hosea is one of the prophets that communicated like, come back to God. Bring your hearts back to me. Um, The whole book covers about 25 years of his preaching and writing. Um, mostly focused on the repentance, but we're going to focus on the first three chapters and look at just his personal life and what God called him to do as a prophet and then for his own life. So the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, I'm in verse two now. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So God calls Hosea into a relationship with his wife to mirror the relationship that the Israelites had been to God. So here's this great prophet, a man of God, and God says, marry this promiscuous woman, she's going to be your wife. 
Verse 3, so he married Gomer, daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. And that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. His name, his first son's name, means God scatters. So that's, there's some weird baby names these days, but I would not name a child that. So God calls him to do that, and he says, I'm going to break Israel's bow. I'm going to break down their military power is what that means. So I'm going to destroy them. They won't be able to fend for themselves. Then, verse 6, Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo-Rohamah, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to Israel, and I shall, that I should at all forgive them. So he scatters them. He doesn't love them. And now she's going to have a third child. Verse 8. After she weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had a son. Then the Lord said, call him Lo-Amami, which means not my people, for you are not my people and I am not your God. If you can just visualize for a bit that you're Hosea, you're a God-fearing man, you probably have great wisdom and discernment, you're a prophet, you have to be able to hear from the Lord, discern what's him, what's you, and then speak it to the other people. And then God calls you, to marry a promiscuous woman, which like just from that, I would say comes with a reputation if they're specifically calling that out, which that reputation does not line up with the reputation that Hosea probably had. So he's been called to marry her, which is difficult. And then when he has three kids, he doesn't get to name them like grace, hope, faith. Like he has to name them names that symbolize these terrible things that Israel are doing for God, like for God's purpose. But this is the life that he's been called to after all the faithfulness he's had towards God. So then in chapter 2, um, Gomer leaves Hosea, goes and commits adultery. She's off doing her own thing. She says, I can do better than Hosea. Like the Israelites say, I can do better than God. So in verse 5, it says, Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who will give me my food. They'll give me my water, my wool, my linen, and my olive oil and my drink. Right. So she's saying... I don't need you. I can go out and I can find somebody else and they'll provide for all of my needs. Again, what we do to God and what Israel was doing to God. But in chapter three, God's intention is that their marriage has been broken by unfaithfulness, but reconciliation, not divorce, is what's being sought here. God commands Hosea in the first verse. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and an adulteress, Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes, which is what they offer to Baal, their false god. So Hosea says, So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer of lethgo and barley. Then I told her, You are to live with me many days, but you must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way towards you. So God not only says you're going to stay with Gomer. You have to go and get her. You have to buy her back, and you're going to bring her back and love her regardless of what she's done. Which, if you look at his life, and now we think about how God usually, or how we think God works, is like God gives his commands. We're at first like, I don't know if I want to obey. We finally obey, but we're like, you know what? Once I obey, then things will be great, and everything will fall into place, and it's so easy. Like, God just rewards me for all my obedience. But in reality, that's like half true. I mean, God does bless us, and I'm not saying he doesn't. But we receive a lot of great things, but not from a worldly perspective. A lot of times it looks different. We 
seem kind of weird because the paths we choose go a little bit of a different direction than the normal worldly-like path. And this is what God had called Hosea to do. But in our obedience and that repetition of choosing to do the right thing, God also leads us to a life that's closer to him, which is the greatest reward out of that that we can have. Not a life full of what we define as greater is easy, but to a life that has real meaning and real purpose. So I'm going to give you a selfish example from my life. Um, back at the beginning of March, Chris and I came to a point of making a really big step in obedience in our family life. I start by saying that if you have children and you have them in school and you have to choose what school they go to, or maybe you don't have the choice, or you're like faced with a decision of how are they going to learn, it's not an easy decision, and you do a lot of praying as a parent, and you wonder if it's the best thing all of the time. One of those options is homeschooling. I'm pro-homeschooling. I think it's fantastic. I was homeschooled through kindergarten all the way through 12th grade, got a degree afterwards, and I turned out like semi-normal. So I think that it's like great. I think it's a good thing. However, if you knew me, or like if you've known me or ever asked me or been like, oh my goodness, you're homeschooled, would you homeschool your kids? The answer has always been no, absolutely not. Unless God makes it abundantly clear that that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Because I don't want to say like never, but like God would have to write it down for me. Like he would have to make it so clear because that's just not, that's just not what I want to do. Well, at the beginning of March, God made it abundantly clear that we were supposed to homeschool Harvey. And so we came to this point. Um, and if you're married, you know that you don't actually like often come to an agreement with your spouse like this. You kind of like go back and forth and then God puts your hearts together. But this is something where Chris and I at the same time, God was so gracious, the same time had the same word, the same leading. And I was like, okay, this is like, we know that we know that we know that this is the decision that we're supposed to make. And I hope that you can hear like my heart in this when, I, when I'm saying all this because there's a lot of fear and anxiety and worry and control and selfishness I had to work through. But to be honest, like this is not what I have picked. If God had given me some choices like, hey, what do you want to obey on? I would have been like, that one, not this one. Like you can keep that. I'll pick something different. And I was like not... That it was just not what I wanted to do. And I know, I know Harvey better than anyone, and I can be his teacher, blah, blah, blah. Like, I hear all those things in my head, but I wasn't there in my heart. Like, I hadn't come to that point where I was like, this is, this is what I want to do. But Chris and I did it. Like, I love Harvey. Like, I would jump in front of a bus for him, but I was like, I don't want to teach you to spell. Like, I, that's, not, that's not what I want to do. Anyway, so we decided that we were going to do it, and we made this step. And about a week in, I remember we were praying and I was telling Chris, like, I'm going to get there, but this is really, really hard. This is so hard. Like, why, God, was this the decision? Like, we were on a good path. It's not like the path that we were on before was bad, but it wasn't the best path. And God wanted us to get in alignment with what he had, what he has planned for Harvey's life, which I can't see at this point, but what he had, what he sees for him. So, um, if we look at Hosea, like God brought him to a point where he called him to do some really hard things and then directed his life. And, and it doesn't seem fair that that was his decision, not that Hosea and I are in the same spot. But let's change our perspective. If Hosea was in that position, how often do you think that he had to go to the Lord to seek 
his wisdom for how to be a loving husband, how to be a forgiving husband, how to be a gracious father, how to love his children regardless of like maybe what their actions represented or maybe what their home life represented. Like how often did he have to seek God above like what he wanted and just like fall on his knees and just say like, God, your purpose is bigger than mine. C.S. Lewis said, the great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one, uh, one's own or real life. The truth is, of course, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely, precisely one's real life, the life God is sinning day by day. So the interrupt, what we view as interruptions, that, that's actually our life. That's not God's plan B when things go awry. Like God's hand is just as much in that plan as he is in every other good good part of our life. And I can say the same has been true about this homeschooling path that we've been on with Harvey. It has brought me to my knees constantly before the Lord. And I've lost, like now with how our day looks, I've lost a lot of that like bigger time with God where I could spend in communion and just time with him. And I spend more moment to moments with God. And it's been super sweet to be like, God help or thank you or wow, like I really needed that sweetness to see between Harvey and Stuart Stuart to get me through my day. My mom always talks about with myself and I have two brothers that God always gave her nuggets to cling to on like the really hard days. And those are the treasures like that I have like in my heart of like when God is so faithful and gives us those sweet moments amidst the chaos. And that's what God's been doing me through this season. See, in order to grow closer to God, Hosea had to obey God and accept whatever came after as part of God's purpose too. So even in the before, the during, and the obedience after. So if it meant marry a promiscuous woman and have three symbolically named kids, he was in, because he believed in a kingdom that was beyond himself. He had tasted and seen that the Lord was good, like we just sang about, and he wanted more. And there's not a lot written other than these three chapters about Hosea's personal life, but I would assume he didn't live an arm's length life that he stayed close to God because he prophesied for like 25 to 35 years is what it said about him. And that had to have been done with intimacy, a deepness, coming to a point of surrender and coming to a point of obedience to get him there. God intends all of us to live a life close to him. It may seem hard, but I feel like God's the one that really got the short end of the stick, right? Like God comes to us and takes whatever we have, whatever struggles, whatever mess, we give it to him, and he's like, hey, come, in, come inside my sheep pen. Like, just eat this green grass. Like, I've set up a clear boundary line for you. Just come in and live and live here. And that's where God, God brings us. God is saying to our hearts that regardless of what happens, he is enough. Whether or not our situations get worse or better, he's the constant. Psalm 102, 25 to 27 says, In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like nothing, you will change them and they will be discarded, but you remain the same and your, ears, your years will never end. So whether or not my life gets easier or gets harder as a result of knowing him, he's enough. Like he has to be. Like he has, he's the only solution. And I'm not really living until he is placed in a, in a position in my life to be all that I need to be. Like for me... If that meant withdrawing from college, then I needed that. And if it means homeschooling Harvey, then I'm for it. Because the path that I was on before really had no meaning. I would go to bed at night and be like, this is such a waste. This is very empty, God. Like, 
what am I doing with my time living this way, living this empty life like so far from you? And when God steps in and when he stepped into my life, he added meaning and he added value to me. He added purpose to what little we have. He took me a ripped garment and he hemmed me in completely. It may be hard to see it from our limited perspective, but once we've stepped into surrender and obedience, we're not going to really care what we've gotten out of the deal because we've gotten Jesus. When we get to that husband and that bride, we have our prize. We have God, the ultimate husband, the ultimate filler of all of our needs who knows us in and out and still calls us by our name, by his name that he's given us. And if you if think about the clay and the potter, like the clay just cares about what they're going to get out of the deal. Like, what kind of pot am I going to become? Like, am I going to have a handle? If I'm going to have a spout, like, what's my life going to get like? But again, that deeper relationship, we just want Jesus. So the question this morning that I think that I'm asking for myself, like always, and I think we need to ask for ourselves, is, is surrender what we want? Like, is God asking us to give us, give something up? Is it worth it? Is it worth the hard work? I don't want you to fall flat on your face like I did, but, you know, where are you at that are you ready to surrender? Or maybe you have surrendered, but you're not ready to, like, do the next step. What does God want you to step out in obedience with? Because on the other side of that obedience and in the middle of it and before it is all God. He's not one that just, like, waits for us down the road. Like, he's with us every step. So for me, obedience has been worth it. The heart has been worth it. And I might complain a little bit along the way, but that's the obedience is also massaging that out of my heart and replacing it with, with joy and lasting joy and purpose. And it's given me a glimpse of God, and I want more of that. I want more full life with Him. Thanks for listening. That wraps up today's word. We are grateful you joined in, and if you would like to hear more or learn more about us, feel free to check things out over at newriverchurch.org. 